Welcome to the Page to Pixel podcast. I'm your host, Reed Jolin, and I would like to invite you on a journey through the lore and narratives of various gaming franchises. You see, I've been an avid podcast listener for the last several years, and in all of that time, I have felt that there's a certain niche that has been missing from the greater gaming podcast community. While many gaming-focused podcasts focus on retro titles, specific genres, or current gaming news, very few of them take deep dives into lore and overarching stories of gaming franchises. So that is where we come in. The goal of this podcast is to look at gaming franchises and dissect them to fully understand and comprehend the story and timelines of the individual games and how they coalesce as a whole franchise. So rather than simply outline one game in a series, we will analyze the story as a whole, diving into characters, worlds, and other details to make better sense of the narrative structure of the series as a whole. I am a strong believer in the idea that video games are art, not only from a detail or graphics perspective, but also from the storyline and narrative perspective. So rather than looking solely on the jumps in graphical quality, creators of the franchises, or physical details, we at Page the Pixel want to focus more on how the narrative develops and grows over time. So I hope you come along with us as we jump into this new adventure. So along with me on this podcast adventure, I will be joined by my co-host, Jeremy Ruck, who would like to introduce himself at this time. Hello, uh, as Reed said, my name is Jeremy. Um... I just wanted to take a minute to kind of introduce myself, my background in gaming, um, and just talk about maybe just a little bit about how Reed and I know each other. So uh, to start off, um, I've been gaming for almost my whole life. I remember running around my grandma and grandpa's house with the uh, nine other cousins playing Super NES and NES games together. Um, and when Reed invited me to do this podcast, I was really excited because... I kind of hopped around a lot as a kid between um, whether it was Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64, PlayStation, over to PC. And so there were a lot of titles where I missed, say, the first or second of a game series. Um, And so I'm just really glad to have this opportunity to kind of put those narratives together and even put that back forth uh, for anyone else that kind of went through that same experience. So uh, thanks again for inviting me to do this read. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting for my own life is that, like you and like a lot of people, I think of our generation, is that we grew up playing games kind of unknowing of everything that's out there at the time. Um, I think there's still video recording of me and my siblings playing Super Mario on the original NES uh, down in Memphis in like 1993, I want to say. And I've been sort of doing some recollection, and I realized, too, that... Most of my life, I was playing games a generation or two before the current generation. Like when I was, you know, in kindergarten, that's when the PlayStation was coming out. But I had no idea what that was. I was still playing the NES. I was playing the Sega Genesis. I think it's because of the adults in my life at the time had no real inclination of what sort of um, game, you know, they weren't up on it. It was just like a, a leisurely activity for them. So for me, I've always kind of had a soft spot for nostalgic gaming, whether that's the 8, 16, 32, or 64-bit generations, it really wasn't until, I would say, the uh, the Xbox, PS2, GameCube era that I started becoming more 
um, up with the times. And I think a lot of that is because of, you know, magazines and the webs, you know, websites taking a lot of, um, you know, taking off and getting a lot, a really strong reader base. And it's just interesting looking back on, you know, how I was in 1996, 1997 playing games from, you know, the late 80s still, not knowing what's out there at the time. So I think that really inspired a lot of my interests, so to speak. And I know, Jeremy, you have a bit more experience with PC gaming than I might might have. Uh, yeah, probably. I play mostly exclusive PC now. Uh, I had a similar origin to you. Um, so I was, I wouldn't say the youngest, but I was kind of the middle group of cousins. And then there's a big batch between where like the real young ones start. So I was a 90s kid, uh, you know, born in 1990 that grew up almost exclusively with influence from the 80s. So I didn't touch a modern console like the Nintendo 64. Man, I was probably like 13, 14, you know, like... I was always behind as well, so I have some early memories of playing the NES when I was probably five or six, so that'd be like 1995, you know, probably just something my mom got at a garage sale for us, honestly, um, and the Super Nintendo, so, but yeah, I eventually switched over to uh, PC when I was in high school, um, I've always been more into like your RPGs, your tactical or strategy games. I dip and dive into shooters every once in a while, but um, they were usually like World War II shooters. Uh, I was big into the Band of Brothers because uh, I just assumed it was teaching me something about history, unbeknownst to me. But I mean, obviously, that's all wrong and inaccurate, but you know. That's just how they make them. It's worth a shot. <laughs> so what would you say, Jeremy, that your top three gaming franchises are of all time? Well, um, I would say number one sits probably with the Elder Scrolls just because, you know, I just came into PC gaming. Um, up until then, it was mostly platformers. I had a Nintendo 64 and still, you know, it's like Mario and GoldenEye and stuff like that. And I really wasn't fully aware, like, quite to the extent that an RPG was. And um, I got a totally legit copy of Oblivion from one of my buddies. And I was just floored with how expansive it was. How much, I mean, other than, say, like, the character models, which everyone makes fun of their faces, but I still think they look fine. Um, how much detail there could be in a world. I still, to this day, will every once in a while just remember there was a time where I was cresting a hill during the sun, uh, sunset, and the Imperial City was in the in, in between me and the sun cresting. I was just like, this game is beautiful. And at the time, it was running on, like, half graphics, and, you know, my crappy PC that I built from my first job money that I could afford... But it still just kind of floored me, and I, I still, 15 years after that, think back to like, wow, I thought this was beautiful, and just how in-depth the story was. Still, to this day, I go back to that. Yeah, I would say that the Elder Scrolls were also extremely uh, influential for me as well. Um, I started on Morrowind. I remember it originally came out for the Xbox way back in the day, and that was one of the first titles I think I owned for the original Xbox. And I think some of my genuinely fondest memories as a, you know, child or early teen was you know staying up until six seven in the morning playing with some of my friends not even doing the quests in Morrowind but just like exploring the land and just kind of having fun with it 
And it really just kind of opened my eyes because before that time period, um, open games were really limited maybe to PCs and stuff like that. And just true freeform freedom was just non-existent in a lot of games. Um, so I don't really need to necessarily tell you how amazing and important Morrowind for, was for gaming as a whole, because I think it's kind of self-explanatory. I think a lot of people have the same uh, affection for it. But, you know, with Morrowind jumping into Oblivion, you know, it was the same thing. It was just seeing an extension of that franchise into a way that was a little bit easier to play, because Morrowind was a little bit confusing, say, for a 13-year-old. It's still confusing to this day. But for yeah, a 30-year-old, that thing's confusing. For, for, yeah, for a 30-something, it's still confusing, because you have to go into the journal and stuff like that. But I think Oblivion opened it up a little bit more, and I think Oblivion's a really nice um, middle ground between Morrowind and Skyrim. I, I love Skyrim to death. I think it's one of the best games of all time, but it is also a little bit hand-holdy in a lot of ways. Um, I'd agree. They, yeah. they, they, they cut out a lot of things, but maybe it's for the better. Kind of going back to what you were saying with Oblivion, again, one of my favorite titles of all time. I think that soundtrack is incredible. We have this perspective of initial moments with video games, you cresting that hill and seeing the Imperial City before you on this low-end PC, and then you kind of you, you try and do that again nowadays, and it's like, oh, that's what it looks like. So, like <laughs> the the impressions of what graphics look like versus how they actually are. I'm wondering if there's some sort of like psychological trick with that. Um, it'd be interesting to look at. I would say um, overall, um, my favorite gaming franchises, not really in any order, because I think it's unfair to put them in a ranked order. I would say it's a mixture of the three being uh, Pokemon, Castlevania and The Elder Scrolls. Um, I think with those three games, there's any of the titles within those franchises I can go back to and just love. Um, Castlevania, I love, probably is my number one. I would probably have to give the preference, if, if I'm honest, is, is Castlevania. I've, I've played and beaten the most of those games. I just love the kind of spooky atmosphere. Um, you know, I grew up a huge horror movie fan. I still am. Um, and I know Castlevania is a really important series for gaming history, and that's one thing that I, I hope to... Um, hopefully cover as we kind of move into October, but as of this recording, we're right on the cusp of July and August. So as we move into fall, maybe that's one of the franchises that we'll jump into is uh, Castlevania. But yes, Castlevania, Pokemon, uh, Elder Scrolls, I mean, a nice mixture of RPG action and uh, art. Um, I guess, I guess they're all, you know, Oblivion and Pokemon are both RPGs, but different styles ultimately too. Oh, completely. Uh, all right. Now that you've given me a chance to collect my thoughts, I have them here. I've already discussed Elder Scrolls, kicking the second one back to Bethesda, Fallout. I mean, originally it wasn't Bethesda, obviously they own it now. As frustrating, yeah, obviously I didn't play them as a youth, but I've gone back and played one and two as an adult. And as frustrating and kind of ham-handed as those controls are, I love the setting. The story has some convoluted parts and, you know, there's a lot of discuss debate over what's going on, but I just love that post-apocalyptic setting, kind of like 50s vibe. Um, power armor is just cool. So that would I would definitely probably put in my next spot. Which, um, which follow game is your favorite, would you say? Oh, why you gotta do me dirty like this? Always dirty. Um, <laughs> always dirty. I'm gonna have to say probably New Vegas. Okay. But I have a good amount of respect for all of all three of the new ones. I would probably say one or two if I started with them first, but coming in at Fallout 3 and then realizing 
you know, wanted to exist and going back and playing those. But, you know, Fallout 3 did a lot to kind of change that franchise, but New Vegas had a lot more, I would say, in-depth with it. Fallout 4 I enjoyed thoroughly, and, you know, this is probably a debate for another day, but I felt kind of that same Skyrim syndrome where there was so much going on. I mean, I know they added crafting and all of that, but it just felt kind of, I don't want to say dumbed down, but just different in a way that I it's hard to without actually like taking a moment to analyze it it just felt different and I don't like it as much but yeah so I would say New Vegas was probably my favorite out of all of those and then my third as I know I mentioned I don't play a lot of shooters anymore but it is actually Unreal Tournament I have fond memories of watching my cousin play that when I was like probably nine that that first uh Unreal Tournament game of the year edition and when I was in high school we had a group of guys that would get together all the time and we'd hammer on some Unreal Tournament 2004. I just love that if I'm gonna play a shooter I don't want something hyper realistic. I want fast pace, crazy stupid guns, you know just give me give me a 24 pack of Mountain Dew and some pixie sticks and just let me go crazy on this first person shooter right yeah that's an interesting one i i again my my experience with shooters i think the first shooter i probably ever played was goldeneye you know and that was a very that was more related to my affinity for just james bond when i was a kid so i feel kind of left out that i didn't really get on the doom the Doom series or the Quake series or the Unreal series. Like I know a few of my friends are really into those that maybe are a little bit older than me. But yeah, I mean, I I know the affinity people have for Unreal Tournament and how just landmark of a game that was. And maybe that's one of the games we'll cover in terms of story-wise moving into the future. But that's an interesting pick. I think it's definitely an interesting pick. And it's certainly, I know, a revolutionary game, despite the fact that I've missed out on it. And just looking back at what you were saying about um, games and kind of going back to games like you were saying with, you know, you loved Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas, um, but then trying to go back to the first and second one, it's a little difficult, and I, I think it definitely is. If you're someone that's kind of growing up with Morrowind, Oblivion, Skyrim, just to go back to the Elder Scrolls, which is this, this podcast is just turning into a, um, a jerk fest about the Elder <laughs> Scrolls a bit, but that's okay. If you try to go back to like Daggerfall or Arena, it's rough, you know, it's really rough. Oh, yeah. Rough. Yeah, I've, I've looked into them a bit, and I've even gone back to like, Similar games like Might and Magic Seven, I played. Obviously, I was in, I was out of high school the first time I played that. Great game, super fun. Man, you're just beating your head against the wall trying to finish some of that stuff, you know? Right. That was back when when game was for big burly men with big manly beards, you know. I I need a I need a mini map. I need to know exactly where I'm going. I don't have to read. I'm playing a game. Well, and I think, too, as you get a little bit older into your adult life, when you have jobs and obligations, it's really hard to jump into more hardcore video games. I mean, uh, one of my favorite games of all time is Dragon Age uh, Origins. And, Origins? Uh, Origins, yeah. The, the first really? Dra- yeah, the first Dragon Age game, yeah. Enchantment? Yeah, I love that <laughs> Enchantment? game. Enchantment? Uh, second one doesn't exist. Inquisition is fine. Can I ask, uh, I mean, this might be the wrong spot, so feel free to edit this out. Okay. I didn't finish it. Origin. Um, no, the second one. Yep. Don't I don't remember hating it, and I don't remember why people hated it. I just think it was just because it was such a departure from the first game. It was a little bit more from what I remember. I only played it for, like, a couple hours. 
It was oh, at his, yeah, it was a lot more. It was it was it was a lot more actiony. Um, that's a, okay. That's fair. It wasn't as in depth and tactical, I think, as the first one. But looking back at your Fallout love, um, I, I, I <laughs> see we're kind of my Fallout love. Fallout love. Don't don't reveal my dark secrets. I know. What's interesting about Fallout is I I liked three and I liked New Vegas, but it never really dug its claws into me until uh, Fallout Four. Okay. For the exact reasons that you don't like it as much is that it was a little bit watered down and the crafting system I really liked. And I liked the setting of Boston. I thought that was Boston. Boston? Yeah. I, I was upset. Yeah. I, I, I just felt that like Fallout 3 was a little too muddy and a little too bleak for my liking at the time. But That's I, fair. I, yeah. And Fallout uh, New Vegas, I've started the game where you're in the room with like the bald doctor guy. And then I get to right outside the house, and then I save, and then I never play it again. So maybe I really need to go back and play Fallout New Vegas. But again, I, just... I mean, it's not. Maybe, it might just not be for everyone. Like, I, I I, understand, like, especially 3, being bleak and dark. Personally, I like grimy, dark, no hope. That's just my jam. Yeah, I think, just for listeners who's listening to this, um, this isn't what our whole podcast is going to be. This is, the, you know, this, this our, our actual structured podcasts are going to be, like I said in the beginning, very narrative-driven, very focused on what's going on in the story, and just kind of reflecting on that. This is just kind of the intro episode where we're just kind of letting you guys know a little bit more about our histories with gaming and stuff like that. This isn't anything where you're just going to listen to us ramble on and on and on. We're going to have a little bit more structure for you as we move forward, but... For the time being, if you're still listening, you're stuck with us. So that's that's that. Deal with it. Deal with it. What else do we want to cover in this first episode? How about some franchises we want to cover in this whole podcast? So what are yes. some podca- what are some franchises that you're looking forward to in terms of breaking down the narrative, breaking down the story as a whole? All right. So obviously, kind of the the Blizzard tri series. You know, you've got your Warcraft. Maybe steeping into World of Warcraft, I've got more familiarity with like. Core Warcraft, where maybe you'd bring up World of Warcraft, and I don't know how ex- extent, like how big that is. Diablo, Starcraft, I've played all of those games, uh, with the exception of I didn't play World of Warcraft heavily. So those would be something I'd definitely like to cover. I mean, just World of Warcraft by itself as a podcast, in terms of lore, that could be its own thing. That's the that's one. We of the could ca- maybe steer clear of MMOs. They kind of keep building and building and building, just continuously it seems like right yeah i think with you know world of warcraft i mean it's such an evolving thing it's been around since what 2004 and it's still going on and it's kind of a touchy subject for people because if you're not paying attention to gaming news which we don't really cover on this podcast is that blizzard's going through some shit right now um in terms (laughs) and this is where we've discovered that we are uh going to use swear words for this podcast so yeah we're gonna is on the table yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to try and minimize it. I don't want to curse too much just because I think if we're going to stick with the theme of gaming, I want to give this a T rating. T for teens. <laughs> T for um, teens. Obviously, we're not going to be super vulgar or anything, but occasionally, yes, we're going to let out a few curse words. But I don't think it's anything that's going to detract um, most listeners, especially people that are interested in deeper gaming narratives. If you're that much of a nerd like we are, I think you'll be just fine. Yeah, the Blizzard series would be really fun to deep dive into. I think it's something where we would have to piecemeal it. You know, we could do an episode on Warcraft, Warcraft 2, maybe the the RTS 
brands of like Warcraft 1, 2, and 3. World of Warcraft would be something that it's going to be a lot. Um, okay. I mean, it's definitely something we can do, you know, if this definitely gains some traction. When um, we hit the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> right. Uh, I'd love to, I'd love. That's to, when you know you can tune out. Yeah, that's when you know you can just tune out. I'd like to do the Diablo series because I do really like the Diablo games. Love Diablo. Uh, yeah, uh, and I d- honestly don't know a lot about the storyline. Well, you're in luck. I know, and, and the same thing with the StarCraft uh, storyline. I've played StarCraft 1 and 2, maybe a total of 20 minutes. So <laughs> I'd like to learn a little bit more about that. Um, I think I can speak for both of us when we say that we are generally more interested in fantasy over most genres. You think that's fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I do love me some sci-fi, but yeah, between the two, fantasy, sci-fi, that, those are probably the big ones. Um, and I'm not opposed to getting into other genres as long as there's something to pull from there, right? Like, I don't want to get into a sports game unless there's a deeper narrative in a sports game, which I I mean, I, I, mean, think- I might be surprised, but I just don't think it's probably there. See, that's one thing, too, that we talked about in the intro of this podcast was, what are the sort of games that you're interested in? And you said, oh, I'm more interested in the RPG side of things. While me, on the other hand, I'm interested in everything. I will literally give anything a try. You know, I, I split my time between Ghost of Tsushima and NBA 2K21. Right now, this is we're in 2021. So, I mean, I, I play everything. You know, I'm not opposed to any franchise but again chances of them there being a narrative in something like a sports game is a lot less likely than a full-on rpg like fallout or skyrim or anything like that uh looking at sports games that might have a narrative something like uh mutant league football or mutant league hockey for the second genesis (laughs) well yeah we're gonna cover mutant league football and mutant league hockey yeah we're gonna get so many fans if we cover that yeah, I don't know. It's just <laughs> uh, ultimately, I think a lot of action games and a lot of sports games, you know, it, it, there's a difference of narratives that they're going to put forth. Obviously, I think the goal of action and RPG games is to build a story, is to get people and players immersed in what they're throwing at you. And one thing I really want to note for this initial podcast is how narratives have sort of developed over the years, and that is. You look at 8-bit games and 16-bit games, and because of the sort of technical limitations that existed back then, a lot of times you would have to turn to game manuals to know the story because they don't have the power, they don't have the literal capacity in the in the chipset to hold you know a big storyline if they're going to have it. Typically, if you play something like Mega Man or Castlevania IV on the SNES, you're going to see maybe a scrolling text saying, oh, in this year we did blah, 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 blah. And then you're just going to jump into the gameplay. But as time has gone on, and maybe this will be another episode that we do, is just sort of seeing the development of how stories and narratives are given to players. Because nowadays you play something like, I don't know, God of War or you know Persona or any of the games that you're going to be playing right now. You're going to have full CG, you know, full Hollywood style cutscenes that are going to build the story, build the narrative for you. Um, And I think that's something a lot of players take for granted is how they sort of uh, involve you in the story and get you caught up to speed. Especially if it's a game that you haven't played before or like a series you haven't played before. Like if you jump into, I think, Resident Evil Village or Resident Evil 8, it actually will show you, I think I think it will show you, like a, a, a recap of Resident Evil 7. So you don't necessarily need to play the other games 
to understand it. But I think just the way that video games have developed technologically and terms of capacity have allowed people to further understand and immerse themselves in the story. And again, that's the, the, the whole focus of this podcast is understanding story. So for example, our first podcast that we're going to be releasing after this one is going to be on Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, in gotta go fast, baby. Gotta go fast. Oh yeah, Chila Dog time. <laughs> um, but we're going to be focusing in specifically on the first few Sega Genesis games, like 1, 2, 3, and probably Knuckles that we're going to be talking about. And as far as I can remember, there's not a lot of overt storytelling in the actual game. When you boot it up, you just jump in, right? You just jump right in. And I think you have to usually turn to the manual to figure out the storyline. But obviously, if you play one of the newer Sonic games, especially like Sonic and the Secret Rings, I believe it is on Wii, there's going to be storyline. I think Sonic and the, and the Secret Rings and I think Sonic and the Black Knight literally are storybooks. Um, they literally are storybook games that kind of take place as a, as a narrative. Like the whole focus is on narrative. But with those original games, you don't get anything other than what you can figure out yourself. And I, I just think that's a really important thing to note when looking at a lot of these games is that typically the older the game, the more research we have to do. And typically our research involves looking at different wikis, looking at different fan pages, playing the games themselves and learning more about the franchises as a whole, and then just kind of piecing them together. That's really our process. Our process is looking at all of these websites, looking at fan sites, looking at video game news sites, kind of looking at retrospectives of a lot of these series, and then just building a larger understanding of the narratives. Because like I said, a lot of these games that existed in the past, they're not going to really give you a whole lot. You play the original Zelda, you play the original Super Mario Brothers, you jump into the game. You open the booklet and you have this great art, you have this cool storyline. And I think what's cool is that, and maybe we'll have some time to spend a little bit on this moving forward, but looking at these older games and you sort of see how in the manuals they tell you about the stories and you just kind of build within your own imagination as a kid what these games mean and what they're sort of trying to tell you. Yeah, I think that's a art that is lost on a lot of modern games because I think one of my fondest memories as a kid is you're on the playground and you're learning about different tips and tricks and cheats that you might be able to use in your in your game. And when you have a modern game just given to you and it has all the cutscenes that you need, it has all of this other stuff that you are just seeing, your imagination is limited in a lot of ways because you're not given the opportunity to kind of fill the holes as you would want to as a kid. I think that's a pretty fair statement. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I would agree. There's a lot of between just things kind of being directly given to you or through access of the internet where we just have any information we feel like looking up at our fingertips. Uh, there's no like older kid that knows all the tricks of Mortal Kombat and he's just going to wipe the floor with you because you can't make, you know, Sub-Zero shoot ice out of his hands. And I, that's speaking from personal experience and it's traumatizing. But at the same time, like, there's something magical about that uh, where if you didn't have the rule book like I did for Mortal Kombat, you just get the crap beat out of you. Yeah, absolutely. don't ever play fighting games again. Yeah, I think with the advent of the internet, it takes away a lot of the mystique of 
learning about a game, playing a game, because it's so easy for any of us to even go online and go on like game facts or something like that and learn all of the storyline, learn all of the right moves you have to do. You can look up all the fatalities. You can look up anything that you need to on the internet. And it's obviously more accurate than something you would learn on the playground, but it does dampen the sort of imagination and sort of involvement I think the individual player needs to make when it comes to playing a game. And maybe that's just us being old fogies or whatever, but there's there's definitely something... <laughs> quickly up, approaching Boomer. Quickly approaching Boomer, but I think there is something... Reed, did you ever have a Mortal, like a brand new Mortal Kombat game? All my stuff was just hand-me-downs or garage sale stuff. Um, well, it's, it's, it's funny that you say that because one of my foundational memories was growing up, my family and I, we would go to church, and then I would say every other Sunday, so every two weeks... After church, my uh, parents would take us to Shakey's, which is a buffet style. I don't think they're around anymore because I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that my high school history teacher got them banned from town because people got food poisoning. Like, that's a big deal. Yeah, that's, um, a, that, that's a pretty big deal. I'm glad uh, that Shakey's ended with buffet and nothing else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, anyway, so we'd go there every... Um, Two weeks, and they would have fried chicken and spaghetti, and I don't know why I'm talking about the food, but <laughs> they also had like a they also had like a little mini arcade. My brother and I would go there, and we would always just play Mortal Kombat with each other, which I think is really quite a disparity and contrast to the things we just learned in church. So for both of us, you know, the Mortal Kombat game was such a huge, huge thing for us, and Mortal Kombat to this day stands as I think is my brother's favorite franchise of all time. Perhaps that we'll tracks. have him. Yeah. That tracks knowing John. Yeah. So we'll, maybe we'll have him on um, just to talk. <laughs> we won't, we won't. Talk about Mortal Kombat and slather barbecue sauce on the screen. Yes. We won't We won't need to talk. We'll just let him talk for like four hours because <laughs> um, he knows fucking everything. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think, uh, look, sorry, looking at new Mortal Kombat games, I think it, it, we never owned any of them growing up. We would rent games, which is something a lot of kids aren't going to know about this day, you know, these days. Damn kids. Um, <laughs> these damn kids. No, I don't think we owned them. We just rented them a lot. Um, but, you know, I think around, like I said, the Xbox, GameCube, PS2 era, that's when we, my brother and I started getting, you know, teenage money, um, cutting lawns, man, and then being able to afford our own stuff. So, again... I think with the internet, as much of a blessing and a curse as it has been for everybody, I really think that it took away a lot of the... Mystique. Mystique and immersion. Arcane knowledge that some kid five years older than you has, he's like some grand wizard to you. Yeah, exactly. And now it's just the internet. And now it's just the internet. Yeah, you can no longer hear just BS rumors on the playground about how to unlock a certain mode in a game. You can already know all of the cheat codes and stuff like that. But in the same respect, though, um, to give the internet some some credit, um, it does unite people in a lot of ways. I know a lot of people that have formed friendships over something like Halo Online or World of Warcraft and have become really good friends over it. I think, obviously, because of our love and affinity for gaming, you know, we became friends because of that. I can't bash something that uh, is connecting us right now, even. You know, we're yeah. recording this remotely. So it's just, uh, you know, part of you always... Brems for that nostalgia 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 great to see, you know, such large communities of people coming together and, you know, the mod communities for certain games is really cool and, um, you know, how it unites people. But it is, it, it's, it's a double-edged sword, you know, because you're going to have the positives, but you're also going to have the toxicity of Twitter, for example. And System people. of a down too much. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, um, it's amazing to see the positivity and the negativity in a lot of regards and it makes me more inclined to play single player games more often than not. <laughs> oh uh, that i mostly play single player games um i've actually i don't think i've ever played more than the odd game here or there a multiplayer game with other people that i didn't know like i've hopped onto wow oh the old republic and i literally play those as single player games because i just am that opposed to communicating with people i don't know yeah i think i'm the same way in a lot of ways like yeah obviously jumping onto something like you know call of duty or battlefield you're forced to do that and that's usually for a really minimal experience you mute those people whatever that's fine yeah which is nice because they've offered that feature to mute all on the new call of duty which is really (laughs) really beneficial so um always mute them all one thing i'd like to maybe touch on to kind of maybe hopefully conclude this podcast, I don't want to give too much away. We still have a lot, we have a lot of content for you guys, but one thing I maybe like to conclude with is how you feel that the perspective of gaming has changed over the years from this really super nerdy basement dwelling hobby that it originally was into mainstream. You know, it's become such a mainstream hobby for a lot of people. And I want to hear your perspective on why you think that gaming has sort of become a household thing rather than just sort of a niche thing. Uh, Well, it's been around for so long. Um, I think it's partially the amount of time it's been around for and more people have, like, it's just gotten a bigger and bigger culture, but also just the diversity in games, right? Like, I, to kind of sidetrack for just two seconds, like, I don't like the whole gatekeeping of games, right? You've got, like, casual gamers ripping on people, or, like, being ripped on by people that play more hardcore gamers. Like, man, gaming's gaming. Like, if you're playing Candy Crush, cool. You're a gamer, right? If you play it enough. So I think it's just the diversity, right? Like, you've got people that just play first-person shooters, and there's nothing wrong with that. If they just want to shoot people as long as they're virtual people... There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, right? Like, people like me and you who kind of seek more story-driven, um, in-depth involved games, right? Like, there's just kind of something for everyone. And obviously there's still people that don't like gaming at all, which, totally chill. It's not your jam, but I, I think it's just the amount of time it's been around, people are more exposed to it, and now there's so much more, right? If you look at some of those old games, you've got arcade-style games... You've got, you know, like your Paperboy, Galaga, whatever. And then fighting games and most of the things in this nest were some sort of JRPG style, like combat, text-based fighting game, or a platformer. And that's, none of those really appeal to anyone that just wants to, like, blow off some steam and shoot a bunch of demons, like in Doom, right? And Doom comes out, you probably bring more people in through there, and now it's just more expansive and... I'm rambling, which is going to happen a lot in this podcast, so if you don't like it, no, you better I, start liking it. I guess the, yeah, I think you're hitting a lot of good points, but I think the question I'm looking for, and I'm going to answer it too, is like, at what point, <laughs> at what point in gaming do you think that it went from 
the niche text-based RPG in the early 80s on your computer or, you know, niche RPGs or whatever, what point do you um, think it kind of became more So, like, uh, at what mainstream? point in time? Yeah, like, what, what games made it more mainstream? So, I'm going to base this kind of solely off my experience uh, based on kind of, like, where we both worked in the past and where I saw people going and stuff. Um... That Call of Duty 4 era. So, Call of Duty 4, maybe... Uh, actually, I think I give too much credit to Call of Duty 4. Halo, and then bleeding into Call of Duty kind of added more people on. Um, and I think, as much as we bashed it earlier, it's because of the internet, right? Like, people play games now as a social thing. Right? Like, um... You're hopping online, you're playing with your friends, you're on group chat with your friends. That's what I think makes it so much more appealing to the mass spectrum of people that aren't just, like, mega nerds. Because you're doing something maybe nerdy, but you're really just cracking a couple beers and BSing with your friends all night, right? Or Mountain Dew, let's be fair. Uh, yeah, you know, Mountain Dew. That's Yeah, I drank a lot of Dew when I was a young boy. Oh, yeah, we sure did. Yeah, I think the, the Halo era and the Call of Duty era, so like the mid-2000s, the early 2000s, definitely with the ubiquity of um, internet play and multiplayer online, I would really say, too, you look at uh, the origins of gaming as more of a novelty, like, you know, how pinball was sort of seen. Um, I know pinball was banned for a long time because it was like sort of gambling, and I know, like, a lot of original arcades that came out in the 70s and 80s were more or less in attractant for, like, drug dealers and stuff. Like, going to an arcade in the 70s and 80s wasn't, like, a fun family thing. It was, like, gritty. You're in big cities. them kids. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're in big cities and, you know, there's really sketchy people. People are smoking in there. You know, I think as time went on and as more home consoles were released... I know Atari 2600 back in the 70s was really popular. And then there was like the video game crash of the early 80s. And then Super Mario came around in 1985, 84. And I think that started to sort of ease it out a little bit. Obviously, I think gamings were still sort of seen as like a nerdy thing. But I think Mario started to soften the blow a little bit. And I would definitely say the next jump from there was probably Tetris. Because Tetris, I think, was just so universal that, you know, moms and dads and aunts and uncles were playing that as well. And then beyond Tetris, a lot of the earlier franchises like Zelda and Metroid and Mario Brothers were evolving and taking off. And I really think it would have been probably the Pokemon games that really opened it up, too. It became... Yeah, know, I guess I breezed over those. I don't know a kid in my school that didn't play Pokemon in some variety. Right, and that... I mean, I could probably go and interview my parents on their perspectives on Pokemon and how it was such like a headache for them. Um, <laughs> but I think I got my I th Pokemon cards taken away today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or if you went to a Christian school like me, uh, Pokemon and Harry Potter being outlawed. So, um, <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, that was right before the online multiplayer real takeoff. Obviously, people are playing Quake, people are playing Unreal Tournament online. But that was still a niche thing, and then really around the turn of the millennium, you started seeing people online more often, more universally, um, through stuff like Halo, stuff like Call of Duty, 
Unreal Tournament still taking off too. And then I'd really say where it became more just socially normal to play games was really around the era of the Nintendo DS 2004-2005 with like the iPhones and stuff taking off too. Stuff like Candy Crush, stuff like Angry Birds becoming more of a mobile platforming uh, for games rather than just a home console or arcade version for better or worse because personally I'm not a huge fan of mobile games I understand their importance but for me I like them a little bit more of an in-depth adventure I would agree yeah I mean yeah well I think that's kind of the point of this podcast right like we're gonna look at games that have a narrative and I'm sure Angry I'm sure Angry Birds has a narrative I'm not gonna talk about it I don't know if I want to read that yeah right but, I mean, it has a movie, right? So, I'm not, you know... We're watching that movie. Episode yeah. 1 isn't Sonic. It's Angry Birds. <laughs> yeah, we're going to watch Angry Birds in the Emoji movie. <laughs> Jeez, no. No. I think that's probably a good time to kind of transition into what we're all hopefully trying to cover with this. Talk about what we're going to cover in this podcast. And that is, it's going to be larger franchises. It's going to be, hopefully, franchises that have at least three games or more. Um, we're certainly going to have one-offs where it's maybe a particular game that we felt was really important but didn't necessarily have the mainstream appeal that a lot of games did. Um, obviously, like we mentioned before, we're going to be talking about Sonic the Hedgehog in the next couple of weeks. Um, and then kind of moving from there, I mean, I know we want to talk about the Elder Scrolls, even though that could be its own thing. That could be its own podcast. That could be its own podcast. But we're going to try and break it down um, according to certain themes. And those themes are as followed. So when looking at how this podcast is going to break down moving forward, again, this first episode is really just kind of shooting the shit, talking about the goals of this podcast, talking about our own histories. <laughs> so looking at this podcast as a whole, this whole podcast, is this first podcast has really been about us you know, talking about each other, talking about our own histories and our own likes and dislikes. Um, just getting, letting you guys know a little bit more about the hosts, as it were. But when we get into actual episodes, it's going to be a bit more structured, like we mentioned. And when we're looking at franchises, when we're looking at certain, you know, larger franchises that have several games in their, in their lexicon, um, we're going to be looking at several key elements of those franchises. One being characters, so who are the main characters, who are the protagonists, the antagonists of that franchise. We're going to be looking at the plot and the lore, and I'm sure that's going to take up a lot of the time. Because, yeah, we can introduce, for example, Sonic the Hedgehog and Tails and uh, Dr. Robotnik. But looking at the plot and the lore is going to be pretty much the bread and butter of a lot of our podcasts. We're also going to be looking at the themes, as in... What are the major themes that they're trying to get across, whether if it's explicit or implicit? You know, we're going to talk about some of those larger aspects of themes and whatnot. And then finally, we're going to look at inspiration. So what sort of things inspired that franchise? What was Mass Effect inspired by? What was The Elder Scrolls inspired by? What was Sonic the Hedgehog inspired by? So we're going to look at different inspirations as in, you know, when these creators were coming together to make a game, what sort of things did they take from to build that franchise? So again, just to recap that, we're looking at the characters, the plot and the lore, themes, major themes, and generally the inspiration behind those franchises. Yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up. All right, so I think that really wraps things up. I, I appreciate you guys stopping by for this first, I guess, episode zero of this podcast. Uh, like I said before, we're not going to be really just 
ad-libbing it, so to speak. We're going to be really jumping into more of a structure in the following episodes, talking about those major points we're going to cover, like I just talked about. I'm really excited to have you guys along with this. I'm really excited to have Jeremy along with this. Uh, In addition to just me and Jeremy, we're going to have some guests along the way talking about certain franchises they love. And I really hope you guys stick around and enjoy what we kind of produce for you guys. This is really just a passion project between me and Jeremy. And it's it's going to be both franchises that we love. There's going to be franchises that we're going to talk about that only, you know, certain people like that maybe I'm not familiar with or maybe Jeremy's not familiar with. And it's ultimately going to be a learning experience just to understand a little bit more about all of these franchises that exist. And... Um, maybe just getting you a little bit more involved with them. Maybe if we talk about a franchise that you're not familiar with, you take a little bit of inspiration and joy from that and jump into that. I think that's really the goal is just to understand ourselves and maybe interest you guys in trying it out if you haven't before. So I think that's really my perspective on it. Jeremy, I don't know if you had anything to add. Nah, man, I'm just here for the money, the live shows, um, Patreon, that kind Only of fans. thing. So. Only, yeah, hit me up on my OnlyFans. It's a uh, J Big Dog, but no, uh, all seriousness, I'm here for the same thing. Getting, I have just love stories, whether it's movies, books, games. Um, I love talking about them. I love when things are heavy. I love when they're light. Uh, you know, a little bit more funny. So, if we can inspire you to try out a new series, or um, you know, just look deeper at something, kind of look into some escapism you know the world is as great as it can be it can also be pretty rough so to look deeper into things i think is really important and you know if you're here for the ride that's just as well yeah we hope you guys we hope you all join us moving forward and hopefully we can build a fan base where we're starting to get lexuses and lamborghinis and stuff like that that's that's really the goal we're not doing this authentically we're doing this for the money oh yeah yeah it's all about the money absolutely All right, so ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us in episode zero, which is just the introduction to this podcast. Um, Hopefully we'll have some new content coming your way, starting with Sonic the Hedgehog in the next few weeks. So thank you for stopping by. This is Reed Jolin again um, from Page to Pixel. And Jeremy, I'll let you send us out. This is Jeremy. Don't forget to quick save before you pick the guard's pocket. (laughs) 